Well, we got a new teacher today. Yes, we do. He's our youth teacher back in the youth. Did they come out here today? Did you allow no, them out here? No, we didn't bring them out here, no. You didn't allow them out? No, they typically, they throw stuff. So we wanted oh. to keep them, you know, <laughs> back there, Pastor Phyllis. Well, your shirt's clean. We don't want any tomatoes or anything on it. So that's, that's, that's good. Keep yeah. them back there. No, uh, I've, I've really never heard Pastor Tim out here in this setting. I've heard him in the youth setting, yeah. which I think you teach a little different probably. A with little that. bit, a yeah. little bit. Yeah, so we're glad you're going to be teaching today and well, thank have you. at it. Thank you. It is, uh, it is really a great honor to be able to, to preach from this pulpit while pastors gone doing miracles. I mean, it just... It's an amazing thing to, to be able to do this, to, to know that Pastor trusts me with this, that Pastor Phyllis trusts me while he's gone. It's a Sunday morning, and so I just want you to know it's an honor for me to be out here with you guys, and I was trying to think of a really good, uh, you know, opening illustration, because with, with students, you have to kind of do something to grab their attention right up front, you know, so uh, for example, I went and spoke one time in an FCA group, uh, which is Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It's like a public school Christian group that they do before school. And uh, it was actually Temple Christian, their chapel, now that I think about it. And when I showed up, I was like, you guys are literally the worst. You're the worst to, to try to give a message to. And they all looked at me like, what? And I'm like, because you, you get this all the time. Like, so to try to come in and give you something that you feel like is fresh, like, that's going to be challenging. You're probably going to be bored with me. And so I thought, maybe that's the way I should approach it. I should just come in and be like, the bar is really low for me, you know, isn't it? Because you get such quality stuff all the time. It's, let's just drop that bar down real low, and then we'll all be happy when it's over. Okay, good deal? Good deal. All right, wonderful. Well, if you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I'm going to read to you guys one of, one of the scriptures right now that is just so, is so on fire in my heart. Like, I am bought in completely to this scripture, and I think it is absolutely one of the most exciting things that we could read in the Bible. If you get excited about God moving in power, if you get excited about the idea of revival of lost people coming to Jesus, then Acts 2, 42 through 47, you're going to love it, because it's just, it's just full of all the good stuff. So we're going to dive right into it. Acts 2, 42, and I'm reading from the NIV, so if it looks a little different than yours, that's why. Acts 2, 42 says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That sounds amazing. Let's, we're going to break this down because I want to make sure that you grab a hold of this. We're just going to read these one by one, and I want you to kind of just answer this yourself. We're not going to raise our hands or anything, but just answer this yourself if you'd want to see this in your church. Uh, would you want to see everyone? Now, listen, this is a little more challenging in our church because we're a miracle church. We believe God moves in power, but it says that everyone was left in awe and wonder at the signs that God was doing in their midst. Bring that on, Jesus. We want to see that. Let's keep going. All the believers were together and had everything in common. There was unity in the house. I'm just, I'm going to throw this one out there just so you can chew on it a little bit. That's hard to do because I'm here. You know what I'm saying? I'm a difficult person to get along with, you know. Uh, how many of you have kids? Let me just see. If you have kids... Yeah, I've learned something amazing about myself through my children. My wife and I, I don't know, my wife's with my daughter, so she's not in here, I don't think. But we have a three-and-a-half-year-old son and a little girl that just turned one in November, and they're amazing, and I love my family, and they're wonderful. But my son is me to the extreme. And what's interesting is I used to think I was a pretty fun guy to be around. You know what I'm saying? Like, I thought, I'm outgoing, people tend to like me. You know, I don't ever annoy people, right? I don't know if you guys feel that way about yourself, but that's how I felt about myself. And then I had a son who's just like me, 
And it hit me one day. I mean, I was just like, oh, oh my. That's what I'm like to people. So my son, if you've spent any time with him, you know a couple of things. He loves dinosaurs, and he'll tell you all about them. And he loves to wrestle and make deals. So like going to bed is a process. Because we're like, hey, son, we're going to go to bed now. We're going to read three books, and we're going to be asleep by 8.30. And he's like, new deal. <laughs> okay, what's your deal? Five books. We don't go to bed at all. And I eat food right now. I'm like, terrible deal, terrible deal. Uh, so he likes to negotiate, so he's either going to be a great preacher one day, you know, or he's going to be a great lawyer, one of the two. We'll wait to see how it goes. Uh, but he likes to wrestle, and he's very, he can't, and if you see me pacing, that's just because I like to move. I hate standing still. I'm a mover. And my son's that way, except his moving is jumping on me. Always. And sometimes I'm just like, kid, like, I love you. You know what I'm saying? How many of you parents, you, you, you saw that? When you had a kid, you, you realized, oh, that's me. Oh, man, I got to work on that. Yeah, so the point of that is this. People can be difficult to be around sometimes. But God, would do, God was doing something amazing in this church where they were all together and they had everything in common. There was unity. That means that even those of us that are a little abrasive, we could still be together with you and you would enjoy our company. It says that they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, I want to just clarify here. It was talking about legitimate needs. You know, I want, I want a boat. That's not really a need. It's just I want one. But if there was any need, like this is sacrificial love to a crazy extent. Somebody would come before the church and say, I have a need. And people in the church were like, well, let's just, what can we sell? We'll just start selling stuff. And the Bible says that everyone that had a need, their need was met because of this church, because of what God was doing here, this sacrificial love that they saw Jesus display on the cross now permeated their hearts. And whenever somebody would come with a need, they were like, whatever we have to do, we're going to meet this need. I think all of us would be like, I want to be in a church like that. That sounds good. If I'm struggling, I can just come and people are going to help me. That's a powerful thing that God was doing there. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. This is the one where I'm like, I'm not sure I want to see you every day. You know what I mean? Like, that's the one. No, but seriously, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That in and of itself is a miracle to me. I mean, they wanted to be together every day. God is doing something powerful when the church wants to gather every day together. You see what I'm saying? Let's keep going because it's not done yet. This is all a lot of good stuff, but they haven't finished. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Doesn't that sound lovely? Listen, they, they were able to go to each other's homes. And we're going to dive into this a little bit more because I, I want to show you some stuff. But they were able to go into each other's homes and just with sincere hearts enjoy each other's fellowship. That's amazing. That, that, that's amazing. I, my wife and I... This is why I think it's so amazing, okay? I'm story heavy up front. I'll get past it. My wife and I, uh, well, if you know my, my in-laws, Paul and Carol Swartz, they're the marriage uh, leaders here, the marriage ministry leaders here. And so obviously when we were going to get married, my wife and I, we did a lot of marriage counseling. You know, there was stuff we did. And uh, I don't know if you've ever taken the marriage uh, or the personality profiles where they match you up with your spouse and they kind of tell you if any of you have done those. My wife and I have done them multiple times uh, with different organizations. And one of them that was my personal favorite, it was called the flag page. And when we took this one, uh, it breaks you down into four countries. And it was perfect country, fun country, control country, and another peace country. And we went into that, and we're kind of figuring it out, and I'm like, I'm fun country all day. Like, that's definitely what's going to happen. And I thought my wife, and I love my wife, and in the most adorable way possible, I thought she would be control country, right? Because that's just that's what I thought. So we go, and we take the profiles, and I found out to my shock that she was not from control country. Here's how you know. This is what they taught us. Uh, you'll know if they're a control country person if you say, you're a control freak, and they're like, yes. I am. That's a control person. If you accuse them of wanting to always be in control and they're like, I don't want to be in control, that means they're from perfect country. And what that means is that there's this deep 
inner thing inside of them that says this is the way things are supposed to be. And that often conflicts with fun country is what happens. <laughs> and so this is, the, this, is the honest, this is the honest truth. We got our results back, and I was like 120% fun country. I can go with the flow, whatever. It's all good. Let's just have a good time. It's going to be fine. My wife was like 120% from perfect country, which means there's this deep desire for things to be the right way, which was very, it was a struggle for us when we first got married because I liked dressing like a bum, but I thought I looked good. And her definition of what looked good and my definition were different, and all of a sudden clothes were just disappearing. I was just like, what is up? So anyways, as we took these personality profiles, they came back and they told us this. This is, this is the absolute truth. It was on our printout. You know, they give you a little printout. This is how you can work your marriage out and make it better. It said, on average, 90, I think it was, I don't want to lie to you, somewhere in the ballpark of 85 to 90% of marriages with our personality profile, A, it is the absolute worst matchup possible, and B, 85 to 90% of them end in divorce within two years. That's a great thing to tell, you know, some newlyweds, like, all right. And I think at that point, we were like right at two years and one month married, so I looked at my wife, and I'm like, we have done it, babe. We have made it. <laughs> and so what I'm saying is I've seen this miracle of being able to eat together with glad and sincere hearts happen in my own marriage because God does something amazing. You take two people who should not be able to work together, and you just love Jesus, and he'll make it work, and it's amazing. I would tell you I have a great marriage, because I'm from fun country, everything's good. You're going to have to talk to my wife to find out the real story, but I'm kidding. She'll tell you it's great. She loves me in spite of my difficulties. The other fun thing about it was they actually did come back and say in the report, they said, oh, by the way, if this marriage is going to work, the person from perfect country has to be the one willing to change, because fun country's just flexible and will go with anything, and I was like... That's what I've been saying, too. I'm so smart. I'm so smart. I got this figured out. Anyway, so they, they would meet together with glad and sincere hearts, and I just think that's amazing. I think that should be something we as the church long for. And then verse 47 here, in case you didn't know, 24-7 youth ministries, that's based off Acts 2.47. It's kind of the vision for what we want to see happen, and that's praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved, and everybody in the church says, yes, I want to see that happen. Amen. Uh, amen. So we have to understand this, though. If we're really going to grab a hold of this and we're going to make this something that happens in our church, then we need to understand a couple of things. Because here's what I know about our church. Our church, we're doers. If, if we came up here, if we came up here and we said, we've been praying, the staff's been praying, we've been fasting, and we believe that God has given us a strategy. We have this insane outreach evangelistic campaign that we planned. It's going to cost, you know, $75,000 to do, but we believe at the end of this year, we're going to have seen at least 500 people get added to the church. They're going to get saved. They're going to get added. Who wants to be a part of that? And this is a church where you would jump on board. I know you are because we do this stuff and you guys are so willing to go and serve and get out in there and do this and give to these types of causes. You're willing to do that. But what's amazing to me is in Acts 2, 42 through 47, they did not come up with such a strategy. The apostles did not sit down and go, you know, I think if we can get, you know, if we can get $100, we could probably set up a booth over here in this farmer's market. And I'm not saying this stuff is wrong. Don't, we need to be out there doing stuff. But I want to get you to the point of what happened that got us to the production of God showing up and moving in power. We can't miss how it happened, right? We know what happened. God showed up. Miracles were taking place. Everyone's left in awe and wonder. But how did they get there? It wasn't some crazy evangelistic strategy. It was a devotion to four things. That's all it was. It was a devotion to four things. And what were those four things? The apostles' teaching. Well, what does that mean for us? The word of God. They wrote it, so we have it now. We have to be devoted to the word of God. What else were they devoted to? The fellowship. They were devoted to the church. They were committed to it to the extent that they met together daily. They were devoted. 
What, what else were they devoted to? Breaking of bread. We're going to break each one of these down because that breaking of bread seems like an odd inclusion. But it's really talking about joining together for meals and including the Lord's Supper, including communion. And so we're going to talk about why that's important. And then the last thing was prayer. They were devoted to prayer. Now here's the thing about the word devotion. I love this. He didn't say they were committed to them. Because commitment means I showed up. I was there. Right? I mean, if you, if you want to really understand the difference between commitment and devotion, just look at your spouse and say, would you rather me be committed or devoted? Right? Because committed is this. I'm going to come home after work. I'm not going to go do anything with any other women because I'm committed to you. You'd rather them be like, honey, I'm coming home because I'm devoted. I can't get enough of you, right? And I ain't looking at other women, not because I just committed myself. I'm devoted to you, girl. I only have eyes for you. I don't even see other women, right? Devotion implies this passionate commitment. We're not just doing this stuff because we feel obligated. We're doing it because there's a passion inside of us that says we want what this will produce in our lives and in our church. That's what we're after. And so they were devoted, they were passionately committed to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship of the church, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now check this out, because here's what I think. I think the devil's really good at what he does. And what he does is he wants to confuse people. And sometimes with really good Christians, the best thing he can do is get you really busy. So you quit doing the things that you should be doing. See, that's my problem. My problem is I have such a heart to do stuff that I have the tendency, if I'm not careful, to slip into not being devoted to these simple things. And the danger in that, the danger in that is this, that the Bible says that when they devoted themselves to these four really simple things, God did everything that we want to see him do when we set up the big outreach. You see what I'm saying? This is simple, it's the simple things that are going to get you really far in your walk with Christ. So, when they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, why is that important? Well, the Word of God is what forms every other thing that follows. The Word of God teaches us how to live. David said that the Word of God is, or yeah, the Word of God is a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. It gives us direction. David also said, I hide your word in my heart so that I don't sin against you, God. The Word of God forms us and fashions us into who we're supposed to be as Christians. It's how we know we're wrong and where we need to go to be right. You see what I'm saying? You can't neglect the Word of God. You can't even have proper fellowship with people in the church without the Word of God instructing you. How do I know that? If you read the New Testament, you're going to see that Paul, especially when he's writing his letters to the churches, and almost all of them, he's like, hey, you can't treat each other like this anymore. We have to have the word of God to instruct us to form our fellowship so that it's proper and it's God-honoring. We have to have the word of God to instruct us how to partake of communion properly. How do I know that? Because that's something that was corrected. They wrote to him and said, hey, some of you are dying because you're doing this improperly. And so the, the word of God had to form communion, our breaking of bread together. The word of God forms our prayer life. If you, just, if you try to pray on your own without the word of God forming that, you're probably going to be super self-focused in all your prayers. I heard another pastor say this one time. He said, if God answered all of your prayers today with a yes, how many other people's lives would be impacted other than just yours? And it was a challenging thought to say, there's nothing wrong with praying for ourselves, but we got to pray beyond ourselves. Even Jesus with the disciples, who by the way were Jews, they knew how to pray. They came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus taught them to pray plurally. What do I mean? He didn't say, pray this, my father. He said, pray our father. He didn't say, give me my daily bread. He said, give us our daily bread, right? Jesus taught us to think bigger than just ourselves in prayer. We are formed in prayer by the Word of God. The Word of God is absolutely vital to us living lives that honor and glorify Jesus. But the devil's good at what he does. And so I looked up some research because I, obviously, I talk with the youth. I minister to the youth, and I talk to some adults occasionally, you know, when you meander down there. And that's always nice. But I talked to people, and I knew some of this to be true anyways, but I wanted to just get the statistics to back me up here. So here's some, here's some research on the Bible and the use of the Bible today in America. Less than half of Americans 
use their Bible at least three times a year. What? Now, that's just Americans. That's not specifically in the church. That's just Americans as a whole. But it gets more depressing. It gets, it gets worse. Out of the 48% of Americans that say they use their Bible at least three or four times a year, only 9% of that 48% claim they use their Bible every day. Wow. Wow. The good news is, if you're 53 to 71 years old, you're on the high end of that spectrum. So way to go, you guys. Yeah, we'll clap for that. That's good. My generation, we're the worst. Yay us, I guess. I don't know. 17% of that 48% read their Bible weekly. 15% of that 48% use it at least once a week. 5% of that 48% use it three to four times a year, and 54% of that 48% have no idea when they use it. Is it safe to say that the devil's trying to cripple us in our Bible? Because it forms everything else. So now let's move on to church attendance. Everybody's personal favorite. Because they were devoted to it. Here's what's amazing to me. This, This number to me is absolutely astounding. So they, they asked people in this poll, and this is all last year's research, if I'm correct. When I looked this up, this was research they released last year. When, when they did this, out of 13,155 people, they asked them these questions. Do you believe in God? Absolutely. There's no doubt you believe God exists. Uh, then they asked them, are you fairly certain that God exists? Then they asked them, uh, are you not completely certain? Do you not know? You just don't believe in God, or they don't know if they believe in God. So those are the different categories that they were allowed to label themselves at. And these are people that actually go to church. All right? So they fit in one of those categories. Then they ask them how often they attend church. And then they give these statistics. So these are the people that attend church at least once a week. All right? Statistics. People who attend church at least once a week, 87% of them said they absolutely believe in God, which makes sense. If you're going to show up to church every week, you should probably believe God exists with certainty. Here's the more astounding thing. That out of people who claim they absolutely believe God exists, 62% of those people only go to church once or twice a month. And they say they absolutely, it was the highest rating you could give. I absolutely, without a doubt, believe in God. 62% of them only go once or twice a year. It gets better. Out of people who absolutely believe God exists, 36% of them said they never go to church. What? Does that not seem a little odd? You believe in God, but yet... You never go to church? Is it safe to say that the devil is trying to attack the fellowship of the saints? Man, we got to work on that. By the way, uh, 58% of what our our church would be, our denomination, 58% of us go to church weekly. So there you go. We're breaking over half. So we're doing really good there. That's kind of a, that was a joke. We're not really doing good there. 58% is not good. It's not good. Here's the better thing, too. So when they asked these people what were their reasons for not going, they gave them several options to choose from. So here they were. You prefer to worship on your own. You don't like organized religion. You aren't very religious. Uh, You haven't found a church or other place of worship that you like. You don't have the time. You aren't sure what religion is right for you. You don't like being asked for money when you attend. Uh, Poor health or other problems prevent you from going or you don't feel welcome when you do attend. Here's the dangerous thing was that the two responses that got the highest, uh, highest people voting for them was this. You prefer to worship on your own. 65% of people, that was what they said. This is why I don't want to go to church because I want to worship on my own. 44% of that 65 strongly stated that. Their, this was their very strong opinion 
was that I want to worship on my own. The second biggest reason was this. They just don't like organized religion. 36%, that was their major reason for why they don't like organized religion. See, here's the deal. We can't fellowship properly when we're not formed by the word because if you read the word of God and you were stuck to it, you would know you can't get Jesus without his church. He's the head of the church. Some of the other reasons don't really matter. But the good one is this. Only 16% of people said that they don't come to church because they don't feel welcome. So we're doing good there. I couldn't really find statistics on communion, so I'm not going to go that route. Here's the statistics on prayer. When it comes to praying daily, 34% of 30 to 49-year-olds pray every day. So that's good. Only 16% of our millennial generation, according to statistics, pray daily. So, room for improvement. Uh, 29% of 50 to 64-year-olds pray daily. And 21% of 65 and up pray daily. Okay. Then the numbers just get really depressing from there. So, I'm not going to go into them all. The point is this. The devil is crippling us in the four things that the Bible says opens the door for God to do the miraculous. That's the point. We need to come back to the basics. We have to. We went on a missions trip last year. We take the youth group on a missions trip uh, pretty much every year. Last year we went to Denver. And when we go on these missions trips uh, through these organizations, most of the people that are there where, where we're going are college-age students because they're the only ones that they can afford to pay to come for a summer, right? Because grown people with families are not going to just go for a summer and get paid 300 bucks for a summer to do this. So they're all college kids. And I've kind of made it my goal when we go to try to minister to those people because it's just been my impression that most of them really aren't that saved when we get there. And so I try to minister to them. Last year in Denver, there were four, uh, four students there, uh, college students. And while I'm there, I'm praying and I'm asking God to give me some wisdom to talk to these students. And I'm sharing this story because I want you to see how real this is, that the devil's crippling this. Okay? But he's very subtle in how he does it in our lives. So as I'm talking to these four students, I'm just asking them, tell me about your life. Where are you from? How did you become a Christian? You know, where do you go to church? This, that, and the other thing. And it was amazing to me because... Every single one of them, and one of them, by the way, was actually going to school to be a pastor. Shocking to me. But every one of them was like, yeah, I'm not really into the church thing. Including the pastor one, which I was like, you really don't know how this works. Uh, It's going to be difficult for you to do that and not be into church. They weren't into church. And so then I started just asking why. Why? Why? Why are you not into church? You're on a missions trip. Why are you not into church? And here's what they kind of shared with me. And through our conversation, I found out they don't really read their Bibles. They don't really spend time in prayer. And the reason they're not into church is because they feel like the church has failed the world. Like, they don't like the way the church handles things. Like, abortion. And in conversation with them, it was more than just abortion, but it was all the hot topic stuff that everybody's into right now. Uh, They didn't like the way the church handled it. They felt like we were just condemning people, and we should just love them. So, well, here's the issue. You're going to love them straight to hell for the sake of loving them. Because when you give love without truth, that's actually hate. Thankfully, the Lord was able to minister and stuff was able to happen, but what I'm telling you is there is a legitimate crippling of the church because we're not devoted to simple things. Now, to drive this point home, I want to show you something. Verse 42, again, says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Who was the they? Who was the they this verse is talking about? Well, let's find out. If you go one verse backwards to verse 41, here's the they. It says this, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves. These are brand new baby Christians. Here's the setup. 
The, the disciples have been in the upper room. They've been praying for the Holy Spirit to come because Jesus told them to go and pray until they receive the gift from the Father. So they've been in the upper room. They're praying. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. The day of Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit comes. He falls on them. They all start speaking in other tongues as the Spirit enables them. And the people outside of the upper room, the ones out in the streets, they hear them and they're like, these guys are drunk. And Peter, who is now filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches the first Spirit-empowered message. And so many people are touched by it because God moved in their hearts that 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ right then. And these 3,000 baby Christians who knew nothing devoted themselves to their Bible, to church, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And it's the one thing as the church right now that we seem to struggle with. It's the one thing we seem to struggle with. And, and sometimes we wonder, man, why isn't God doing anything special? I don't know. Maybe it's because we're not even reading his word. Here's the thing about reading his word. If you read it, just the book of Acts, you're going to get fired up because God does a lot of crazy stuff in the book of Acts. So if you read it, your faith's going to be ignited. Wow. Did you know in the book of Acts it says that in one city there was a miracle that was performed. And when that miracle happened, the entire city erupted in joy. I mean, could you imagine being here at church? And pastor comes out and he prays for somebody. They get healed and Botkins just starts erupting in praise and they have no idea why. That's crazy. That's, what, that's the kind of stuff that was happening though. Because they were devoted to four things. They weren't trying to outthink themselves. They were just devoted. So we got to be devoted to the word of God. It breeds faith in us to believe God for impossible things. We have to be devoted to the church because we need one another. And we're going to get into that a little bit more because I'm going to take you to another scripture. But we really need each other. More than, more than what any of us realize, we need each other desperately. Communion. Here's what I want to get to. Breaking of bread. This, to me, is so powerful. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus is a genius. Is it okay if I'm down here? I like to walk. Jesus does something so amazing with communion. He takes the one thing that every single person who has ever lived who has ever lived, no matter what continent you're from, no matter what creed or ethnicity you are, he takes the one thing that every single human being has in common, food. He takes food. But look at the genius of Jesus. He takes food and he uses that to help us share the gospel. Did you know that every time you sit down to eat a meal, you're declaring the gospel? How? Because Jesus took the bread and he broke it. When you sit with your family, my wife cooks dinner for us. I burn dinner, so my wife cooks it. She cooks the meal. She puts all the ingredients together, and it's one thing. And then when we sit at the table, what do we do? We break it up and we disperse it. Jesus took a meal, and he said, I'm going to teach you how to tell people how much I love them. Every time you eat food, remember that my body was broken and my blood was shed so that you could be saved. You could be at a restaurant with your friends eating, and when your waitress comes over, you can say, hey, we're Christians. Do you know about Jesus? I don't know about Jesus. I'm going to tell you how much Jesus loves you with the food you just brought to us. Look at this. You see this roll at Bob Evans? Jesus said that he was the bread of life, that he allowed his body to be broken, and he gave it out to all who would receive it. They could have life. This bread you just gave us gives us life in this life. But Jesus gives us eternal life. And if you'll put your faith in Jesus, he'll save you. He gave us a meal. Every single time we come together, we can remember. What does this do? It keeps us centered on the gospel. That's what matters. That's what matters. Jesus, their pastor just preached on it, the benefits of the righteous. There's a lot of them. But don't let the benefits of what living for Jesus do get you away from the fact that this is what it's all about. Jesus, the death, the burial, the resurrection. If you're not out there sharing with people what Jesus has done, then you could have all the benefits in the world and it's not helping anyone else. So when they broke bread together, it kept them centered on the gospel. It also removed the ability for grievances to come up. Because when you sit there and you're like, oh yeah, Jesus broke his body for all of us. You kind of don't want to be like, I don't like the way your hair looks today, you know? It eliminates that stuff. Why? They were keeping themselves centered on Christ. 
we got to get back to that because here's what happened with those college students. They want us to love people really well, which is all well and good because Jesus loved the whole world that he gave himself for the world, that any who would come to him could have eternal life, right? Jesus loves people. But they just wanted to be humanitarians. And there's nothing wrong with that, but if you're not giving people the gospel, then you're not helping them. You're not helping them. And so keeping ourselves gospel-centered means that when we go out to do good deeds, we can actually do it in the name of the Lord, not just in the name of love. Amen. We got to stay gospel-centered. We got to keep our lives focused on the cross. We got to remember that Jesus said, if you're going to come follow me, you have to pick up your cross daily and come follow me. And it's okay, you can do this because I did it first. I'm the one that went to the cross first. So now you can do it because the same power that raised me from the dead lives inside of you. You can do this. You can do this. And then they were devoted to prayer. And prayer obviously connects us to God. It's how God speaks. You, sh you should listen when you pray. You know, sometimes it's good to pray and say what you need to say, but it's good to listen and let the Lord lead you. And here's what's amazing to me about this verse. In the New Living Translation, which they don't have, in verse 42 uh, in the NIV and pretty much every other translation, it says they devoted themselves, and it's they know you're reading it, so you know it's talking about all of them because there weren't a ton of Christians right then, right? There were the ones up, upstairs, the 120, and these new 3,000. 3,120 Christians devoted themselves to these things. 3,120 devoted themselves to this lifestyle, and God did amazing things through it. What could God do through us if we came back to it? The important thing is it said that they all did this. I want to encourage some of you today because sometimes we get into a church like this and we can fight this deception that you don't matter because you're not on the stage leading worship. You're not, you're not preaching. You're not teaching anybody else. You're not doing anything. You just come in and you go out. I want you to know that Acts 2.42 says that everyone did these things and then God moved. Everyone did it and God moved. I want to encourage you to not neglect how important you are to the body even when nobody knows you're doing it. I want to prove that point to you. And in 1 Corinthians, I love God's word, man. It's so good. God is good. I want to read this to you. I was told if I get you guys out by 12, somebody's going to take me out to lunch. Tim Fast, where are you at? Where are you? <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. I mean, maybe not. I'm going to try to hit right at 11.59. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. And I'm going to just read this whole thing, so just join with me here. It says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an ear or an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Let me tell you what just happened, and then we're going to keep reading. Paul said that no one has the right to come into the church if you're in Christ. You do not have the right to come into your church and say, you don't need me. Let this register for a second. Nobody, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you've been saved one day. Nobody is allowed to come into the church, into the body, and say, you don't need me. You cannot disqualify yourself. So for those of you that feel like you're not necessary, you are. For those of you that struggle like you have nothing to contribute, you do. And you matter to this church. And your prayers 
and your devotion to the word, and your devotion to this church, and your devotion to the breaking of bread, staying gospel, it matters to us. So Paul says you can't disqualify yourself, but let's go a little bit further and see what else he has to say. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So let me, there's a couple of things happening here. The first thing is this. We know that Paul said you can't disqualify yourself. You also can't be disqualified by anyone. That's what Paul said. If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, Nobody can tell you that you don't have a part to play. No, we're not sure which part you have to play because the Bible says that God is the one that placed every part where it's intended to be, right? God does that, not us. But you matter. You matter. And Paul says if one part suffers, then every part suffers with it. If one part rejoices, every part rejoices with it. Here's, here's where I really want to get you to. When we read in Acts 2.42 that a devotion to four things opens the door for God to do the miraculous, to bring together this dynamic community of people that just love each other and sacrifice for one another, and then we get the added benefit of enjoying the favor of God or the favor of the people everywhere we go, and we're just praising and celebrating all the great things that God's doing, and the Lord's adding to our number daily. It's done because of four things, but it needs everyone. We need everyone. We need, we need everyone. We need everyone. Listen, I preached to the youth group this message, and I told them, the, the old people, no offense, I'm getting into that category myself, but the old people, they need you to be in your Bible. The old people need you to be committed to church. The older people need you to be committed to prayer. The old people need you to keep the gospel centered. But church, I'm here to tell you that those children and those youth, they need each one of you. They need you. This different. I'm, I'm, listen, it's just different now. It changed from your generation. Those of you that are older than me, everything changed. Culture changed. It's changed again. It's scary out there. Moment of transparency. I'm going to be transparent with you. About, I don't know, six or eight months ago, I was ready to quit. And the reason why is because I started finding out stuff that was going on in the culture. I started finding out how immersed in sin this next generation is. It's terrible. And I got to the point where I was ready to throw it in because I didn't see how we could win. How can I rescue Somebody out of this. Because the worst part about it is there's so much deception now that they don't even see shame and stuff that should cause shame. Their hearts are so hard to it, they're blind to it because they don't see it as wrong. That's the culture that's been handed down, right? And so I really, I have to seek God because I'm like, God, what are we doing? And it was, uh, it was a difficult time. Because in that whole, that whole season, I started hearing stories of students in my youth group. Tell them a joke, David. I don't want to do this in front of them. Just kidding. I started hearing stories of kids in my youth group. I was like, God, how can that happen in our church? So I just prayed. And I fasted, and this is what the Holy Spirit said. It's my job to save them. It's your job to shine a light. So when I, when I tell you that all of the believers were devoted to these things and it opened the door for God to do miracles, I'm telling you that I need you. 
to be that devoted? Because what's coming up needs that kind of a devotion. It needs it. It needs it. So you matter. You can't disqualify yourself from that. And we can't disqualify you. I need your prayers. You might not ever see those students. And that's okay. Because Paul said that when one part of the body is weak, we're all weak. But that means if one of us gets stronger, then we all get stronger. Amen. Our church, uh, we got to take responsibility for this stuff because we know salvation is not earned, right? And I'm not talking about earning anything with God. Salvation is a gift. We receive it. But we are to live up to the level of what we have received from Jesus. And so it's time that we say we're going to take responsibility for these things. And we're going to acknowledge to ourselves that every time I read my Bible, it does more than just impact me. Every time I come to church, it does more than just impact me. Every time I partake of communion and remember the gospel and keep my life gospel-centered. It does more than just impact my life. Every prayer that I pray, even the ones that are just for me, still do more than just impact me because when I get stronger, you get stronger. And the mystery in all of this is I don't know how to tell you who's getting stronger because of me. I don't know if when I'm praying, if the Lord's ministering to David I don't know if every time I spend time in God's word and I'm growing in faith that that's blessing the other Dave. I don't know who's being blessed by it, and neither do you. But I want you to do something for me. Look at the person sitting to your left. I know that's weird because everybody, yeah. Look at one of your neighbors. Make eye contact. It's good. Make eye contact. And just say this, I need you. Then look at another neighbor and say, I need you too. We need each other. We can't avoid it. We need each other. We need each other. And your prayers, listen to me, if you're here and you've struggled with not feeling like you matter because you don't, you're not in a position. This is, this is why God, again, God is so much more amazing than any of us ever could be. We think, let me, let me rephrase that. I used to think, I'll make it personal. I used to think that the people up on the platform, they were the special people. I used to think that. I used to be like, that'd be so cool one day to like be able to stand up there and preach. That'd be awesome, you know, like, woo. And then I read what Paul said, and he's like, yeah, actually, the presentable parts, they don't need any, anything. They're good. God says it's the people who are behind the scenes Amen. that nobody knows the hours of prayer or the tears that they've shed. Those are the people that God says they get the greater honor. And here's a question that we all have to wrestle with. Who do you want to get honor from? Do you want to get it from fallible people or do you want to be honored by God? Because I want to be in that category. Like, let God honor me. You know? I love you, but forget you guys. Let Jesus be the one that honors me. So if you've ever struggled with that, I want you to know that God loves you so much. And he hasn't overlooked you. You are vitally important to this body. Every time that pastor goes overseas, he needs your prayers. He needs your faith. He needs your word. He needs your fellowship and your commitment. It, it means something. It means something. Revelations uh, chapter 2. If you guys would go with me here. And I'm going to, I love you guys. You're, you're my church. I love my church. This is an amazing church. Amen. With amazing people. Amen. And you guys are just, you're amazing. But sometimes we got to ask ourselves tough questions. And we got to make sure that we look inside. And I've already shared this with you. I've already, I've already exposed this to you. That I have the tendency to be a doer and neglect the things that I know I should be doing. Because imagine what would happen if I was devoted to the word, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer the way that I should be. And then on top of that, doing the things that the Lord leads me to do because he does lead us to do things. right? You're not just supposed to sit in a chair and pray and read your Bible all day. You actually have to go do something. But if we keep those things in their proper priority. If we do what's important first and then go out and do the other thing, God will be able to move. And so everything we want to see him do, he'll do it when we set the first things first. And I want to share with you because I think this is me, and it might be some of you. In Revelations chapter 2, Jesus shows up and he's going to address seven churches. And he's going to be very specific with them. 
And he's going to rebuke them. He's going to love on them because Jesus loves on people, but he also rebukes people. You know what I'm saying? He told Peter he was acting like the devil. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of rough. I'm not telling any of you you're acting like the devil. So. so he writes to the church in Ephesus in Revelations 2 verse 1. He says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds. Listen to this. Listen to this. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. That sounds so nice to hear Jesus say. You know what I'm saying? You're working hard. You're doing it. You're persevering. You're not giving in. Way to go. If we got that much of the letter, we'd be feeling pretty good about ourselves. And then Jesus continues, though. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Jesus commends their ch this church for their hard work, for their perseverance, that they don't tolerate wickedness, that they're removing false apostles, right? They're doing a lot of really good things. And Jesus is like, you know, slow clap. You're, you're doing great. But here's the issue, church. You forgot the things that you did at first. What were the first things? Acts 2.42 says that these brand new believers devoted themselves to four things. Are those the first things? Word, fellowship, communion, prayer. If you were to evaluate your life today, where would you be on those charts? Which percentage would you fall into? Would you fall into the everyday? A couple of times a week? Once a week? A couple of times a month? Have no idea when? That was one of the categories, by the way. Have no idea when I do this stuff. How do you have no idea when you pray? I don't know. But Jesus told this church who does what looks like everything right. He says, you have forgotten the first things. Repent. He actually tells us to repent. I've had to come to that point in my life several times, by the way, because I'm, I'm, I'm passionate, I'm a doer, and I'll get so caught up trying to reach people for Jesus that I neglect actually spending time with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? That's like trying to love your wife so well that you go work your job like forever to buy her nice jewelry and you actually never see her. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I love her so much I never see her. <laughs> That's kind of what I had the tendency to fall into. And the Lord really, a word that teens use, he shook me when I read this. And I was like, God, is that me? Is that me? Am I so consumed with trying to do stuff for you that I'm neglecting you? Do I need to come back to the first things? Do I need to re rearrange, reorient so that I'm doing what I should be? And the answer was yes for me. For me it was. And so here's what I wanted you to know. There are four easy devotions that open the door for God to do miraculous things in our church and in your lives. Why does it matter? Because you matter. You matter to this church and to God moving in powerful ways in this church. You matter. And we need you. So here's what I want to do. I think the band's going to come up. And I want to challenge each and every one of you to search your heart, to really search your heart. And to discover, are you doing the four things that you know you should be doing? Or do you get up, caught up doing all the other things that you can do? And you could be doing, again, you could be doing a lot of great things for Jesus. 
But if you're missing the four things, then you're really missing. You're missing it. And I was missing it. And it hurts when the Holy Spirit convicts me of it. And I have to repent again. God, help me to not get so distracted that I miss you, you know. But I want to encourage you to find a place of valuing yourself first. Value yourself and the importance that you play in this church. Value the people sitting next to you because your devotion to God matters to them too. And let's allow the Holy Spirit to bring us back to a place of being devoted to the simple things. The things that we did at first that opened the door for God to do incredible things. I want to be left in awe and wonder. I want to be able to join together with you with glad and sincere hearts and enjoy each other's company and the fellowship that we can have together. I want us to be able to see God do amazing works. I want to be able to praise God with you as we enjoy the favor of the people and see the church grow daily. I want to do that with you. But the only way we can get there is if we come back to the basics. And so I want to pray for you. And after I pray for you, I'm going to ask you to pray and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And if this is a day for you to come and repent because you've fallen away from those simple things, then I want to ask you to do that. You don't need to talk to me or anybody else. We're here to pray with you if we want to, but you don't have to do that. I just want to encourage you to pray and repent. Do what Jesus said. Repent of it. And let's make it a devotion of our lives again. And we'll just see what happens from there. You guys can start playing. That'd be great. Let's pray. Father, your word is truth. Your word is truth. Jesus said that if we would hold to his teaching, then we are really his disciples. Then we would know the truth, and the truth would set us free. Your truth is freeing to us. It's not a burden to us. It's freedom for us. And the truth we've discovered today is that we have to be. We have to be devoted to four things, God. We have to be devoted to your word. We have to be. We have to be devoted to your church. We can't sacrifice that. We have to. We have to be devoted to keeping Christ centered, remembering the gospel, the breaking of bread. We have to be devoted to prayer. Holy Spirit, I ask you to bring conviction to all of us that need it. If we need to come back to the first things, Holy Spirit, convict us and help us to repent and help us to just re-engage. God, encourage those who have felt like they don't matter, but they've been faithful. God, those that have been faithful, but they feel like they didn't matter, that it didn't make a difference, encourage them today to know that they are vitally important in your kingdom. We can't thrive without them. Lead us as only you can, Father. Lead us straight to you. Transform us in the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to give you a moment to just pray by yourselves. See what the Holy Spirit would speak to you.
Is there anybody here today that today you, you've been struggling with this, not feeling like you're worth it, not feeling like you add anything to it, and today was like your last straw. You were like, I'm going to go today, and if I don't feel like it changes, then I'm going to call it. This is it. I'm giving up because I don't matter. Is there, any, is there anybody, if, you, if that's you, would you just raise your hand because I want to pray for you? Are you comfortable with coming down here so I can pray with you? Is that okay? Come here. Amen. Amen. What's your name? Pat. Pat? I wondered if I might, well, was it would draw attention to your message. That's what I wanted you to do. Oh, well, praise God. Well, Pat, I want you to know. How long have you been coming here? Like a few, but it's been months now since we we had been coming. Oh, okay. I've been praying and listening to what I said. The devil and other people would say, you know, that you should be stronger and you don't need to, you know, I just, there's just been too many lies that I listened to. And um, and then I kind of wondered, you know, like you said, if I matter. Yeah. Um, I just wondering why my well just wasn't being filled and why I was feeling dry. So I felt like I had to come down. Very good. Well, well, Pat, this is Pastor Phyllis. She thinks you matter. She, you think she matters here. Yeah. This is Nicole. She thinks you matter. I think you matter. These people think you matter. If you think she matters, yeah, just, yeah. Yeah. Amen. 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 Let's pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come against every lie of the enemy. God, that would tell her she doesn't matter, that she's not important, that we don't need her. God, that is a lie. And we speak the truth that brings freedom over her, Father, that she matters, that she's important, that every prayer that she's prayed has made an impact in this church, in this body, Father. God, we thank you that you've placed her here because you place every part in the body where it goes, God. We thank you for it, God. We pray that you would lift her up, that you would encourage her, that you would restore her, Father. God, fill her with faith to know that, God, you have not overlooked her. Today was her day. Today was her day to find out how important she is to this body. Father, we thank you for Pat. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's, let, let's do this real quick. Here's, here's what I would like to do if this is okay. If you're here and you've, you've struggled like that, maybe you weren't at the point where you were done, but you've been struggling with just, this ain't working. This isn't me. This is, this is I'm not benefiting anyone. They don't care if I'm there. If that's you and if you'd be so brave, what I would love to do is I want to pray for each person that feels that way, that has felt that way, that they don't matter. If that's you, if you would just come down real quick, we want to pray for you. Amen. Come on down. Yeah. Praise God. Amen. Come on down. Come on down. Amen. Praise God. Yeah, we'll give them a second here. That's good. That's good. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Yeah, I'll give you a second. It's okay. Come on down here. Praise God. Praise God. Right, so here's the deal. I told you what the Bible says. The Bible says you can't disqualify yourself. The Bible says nobody else can disqualify you. You have to believe that. You know what I mean? You have to believe that. You have to own that truth. And we talked about how do you matter? God places us in the body where he sees fit. 
We can't, we can't become envious or anything like that. You can't look at other people and be like, I want to be that person. Then I'll matter. No, you matter exactly where you are. Exactly where you are. And God will move you. If you need to be somewhere else, God will open those doors. He'll move you. Be patient. Trust in him. But I want you to do this. I want you to turn and look at all these people here real quick. I know this is weird. Nobody does this. But turn and look at the, look at the congregation. Every single person out there needs your faith. Just take that in for a second. They need your faith. Yeah, they do. They do. Would you guys lift your hands up to heaven? I want to pray over you real quick. Lift your hands up. Father, and you can look whichever way you want. I don't care. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for each and every one of these people. God, I thank you that you have marked them and you have planted them in this house for such a time as this, God. They're exactly where they are intended to be. Father, we need them. Without them, we'd be weaker. God, we need their strength. God, we need their strength and they need ours. Because where I'm weak, I need your strength. And where you're weak, you need my strength. We're going to help each other. We're going to do this together because we're a body. We're a body. So, Father, I pray that you would encourage them today, that you'd fill them with a renewed fervor for the simple things. And even though they might not be in front of the crowd, God, you honor them. You honor them. And I thank you for that, Father. I thank you that you honor them. God, bless each and every one of them. Father, I pray that you would just strengthen them today. Strengthen their resolve, Father. Bless them in Jesus' name.